0: This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal and Fly Racing.
1: It's Monday after the Shark Grand Prix de France and round seven of 2022 MotoGP. The world championship has been beasted for a third time. The Fernandez name is winning in Moto2 again and there just had to be a splash of rain in Le Mans to spice things up in Moto3. Like a particularly strong buffeting from a Ducati, the Paddock Pass podcast is back to chop up and chew some of the subjects from France. My name is Adam Wheeler. I edit and write for the web scene on trackoffroad.com and suffer as a Queen's Park Rangers supporter. And it's my great pleasure to be joined by the irrepressible force behind motomatters.com, Mr. David Emmett, and the bass-heavy growl of Moto2 and Moto3 international TV feed commentator and one of the most eloquent writers in the MotoGP media centre, Monsieur Neil Morrison. Hello, chaps.
2: Hello. Um, Speaking of being a football um, supporter, I think uh, Neil's got the better of it just at the moment, has he not?
3: A better deal, exactly. Yeah, I'm surprised I still have a voice after uh, all the screaming that I did. I actually watched the cup final uh, standing outside a fast food place in Le Mans on Saturday night, penalty shootout. I was watching it over the shoulder of a delivery driver who had had it (laughs) streaming on his phone. And I thought this is very... 2022.
1: Did you jump on his back excitedly when you won?
3: We high-fived, yeah. It was a really personal moment.
1: Okay, we should point out this is the FA Cup final, the oldest footballing cup competition in the world, actually, and Liverpool FC have won. So try not to look too smug for the duration of this uh, podcast, Neil, because we are recording on video.
2: Yeah, it's not like in the old days where you used to have to stand outside of a TV, uh, outside of a Dixons or whatever, uh, uh, and staring at the rows and rows and rows of televisions, which were uh, showing the same
1: programme. Or the old days of Teletext, Dave.
2: (laughs) Oh, Teletext. We've still got Teletext in Holland, and honestly uh i absolutely love it i'm a big teletext
1: fan i I would never have guessed (laughs) um we're backed uh gratefully by fly racing of course a big company in off-road with a fantastic crash helmet called the formula that i'll actually be wearing to try the new stark varg electric bike this week um, they also have plenty of garments like jackets, gloves, riding pants, protection and other apparel for the street. So have a quick look at flyracing.com to get tempted. Um, we have excellent support as well from Rental Street, another prolific off-road firm that produced top quality road bike parts. Don't believe us? Then trust the feeling and feats of Kawasaki Racing Team in World Superbike uh, because the team have won just a few races over the last couple of years. Uh, first up, gents, before we get tucked into this um, Paddock Pass podcast, the latest edition, what were your moments from the Grand Prix of France. So I'll go to you first, Dave.
2: Um, oh. I mean, my moment of the weekend, there was an absolutely fantastic uh, shot by, I don't know if, if it was by a video camera of uh, Pekka Bagnaya's lonely, long, lonely trudge back down pit lane after crashing um, at Um It sort of said it all. He was it, he was having such a fantastic race and then Bastianini got past him and then half a lap later, you know, the front goes at the at, at that what turn thirteen, fourteen, where everyone crashes basically. Um, and it, that picture of him, that image of him just sort of you know walking completely alone down pit lane, no one else around, no one else uh, uh, in shot. Was for a start, you know, it was fantastic to see, but it told such a such a story of a um, what looked like being a, a promising way can go horribly wrong.
1: It was a brilliant shot, but I, I thought, why was he walking the wrong way? I mean, he looked like he was coming the wrong way down the pit lane.
3: Yeah, because he crashed at the final turn, well, the turn 13, I guess. Yeah, so um, then
1: he could have walked in the pit lane. And the camera angle was from the other side. He was walking down the left of the garages like he crashed at turn two.
2: Yeah, He must have been given an extra lap
3: for uh, as a punishment he was probably trying to <laughs> spend as long as possible outside the factory to carry <laughs> carriage as he could.
1: Neil, what stood out for you from uh, Le Mans? Because um, you know, Dave and I were working the Grand Prix from home um, on account of both of us travelling shortly to Mugello for the next round, and you were there, uh, um, you know, in the media centre with that horrible din, um, you know, from the pit, what the pit lane, the whole, basically, the building next to. The, the Le Mans straight, it just seems to reverberate all the noise around. It's deafening. Um, what But what was your moment of the weekend?
3: Well, I hope you're going to let me off with this ad, but I actually have two moments of the weekend. One is a personal experience, and one is actually something that happened on track. Personal experience was just coming into the track on uh, Sunday morning. I was getting a ride in with uh, our beloved colleague, Cormac Ryan meaning and uh, he strangely insisted on uh, setting off at 7 a.m. So it's fair to say that I wasn't in the best mood uh, when we got to the track at about 7.15 However, whenever we arrived and we were parking up, seeing just the, the kind of the line of, of fans that were standing around, and uh, the outside and the inside of uh, Shimano Booth, that sort of back straight that comes down from Garage Fair, it was absolutely full, um, and it was just after seven in the morning. So that was kind of the, the feeling that you got from the whole entire weekend, um, which is pretty cool. I think uh, 110,000 uh, was the official number of the attendance on Sunday. I'm not sure if we can put uh, so much trust into the, these exact figures but um I mean yeah that it was definitely the, the best attended uh, MotoGP race that uh, I've been to for quite some time.
2: What I would like to know is did Cormac actually punch a, uh, a security guard or try to run them over because that's usually what happens at least once a weekend.
3: Yeah, especially in France. He was uh, on his best behaviour this weekend. There was something very strange, uh, something fishy was going on. I
1: was... Uh, why was he up at 7 a.m trying to get into the track was
3: that afraid of the crowd yeah well you know it was a bit of a of a nightmare the french uh french security liked to send you on the old uh, diversion around the track and it's not the easiest place to get into so that was the thinking uh but that was my off track highlight my on track highlight was uh the model two race i mean there wasn't really many highlights in in model gp to be fair of what stood out it was a uh, Although it was quite a close race, there wasn't actually much action or uh, much. there was a, quite a bit of incident. But uh, in terms of overtaking, it was a similar story as Jerez. I'm sure we'll get into that a bit more as the pod goes on. So I'm going to go with the Moto2 race. Pedro Costas' performance, I thought, was was really quite interesting. Um, he did seem to have cracked it in, in qualifying and then led the first, I think, 10 laps of the race. Uh, was shadowed by his teammate, Augusto Fernandez, And I mean, those guys were really laying down at a very serious pace. And, and just as Pedro tried to crack Augusto, I think Augusto had eased off ever so slightly because he felt he was at his limit. Um Then Pedro crashed out at uh, La Chapelle. And uh, I mean, it was the closest that he's been so far to to cracking this Model 2 nut. Um, it was tantalisingly close, but you felt that uh, certainly in the way that he, he, he sort of conducted himself this weekend, the way he rode right the way through free practice, only a second ever pole position, tempted to say that this was maybe his rival in the intermediate category
1: was it reminiscent also of maybe Ralph fernandez last year i mean you do have that dynamic as well of the rookie and the slightly more experienced campaigner like you had with fernandez and gardner and it was eerily familiar watching the red bull KTMA your bikes just pull away from the rest of the field
3: a little bit, yeah, yeah, exactly. Although Pedro crashed, so, um, but you know, he's been saying he's been saying all the right things, and uh, you know, I, I think he does have the right structure around him to keep him sort of level-headed, not too, not too down. But look, uh, I don't think uh, any old seventeen-year-old can uh, get pole position in a seventh Model Two race and lead half of the race before, okay, crashing out. But I still think it was the sign that um, Pedro was coming. Well, Rao crashed out a few times as well last year. <laughs>
2: Yeah. yeah, it was also a little bit reminiscent of Mark Marquez because he did the same thing when he moved up to Moto 2. You know, sort of he crashed two or three times, was in a complete state, and then all of a sudden he sort of figured it out and started winning. So. Uh, I think it. it I mean, Acosta looked like he did in pre-season testing. I mean, when I was in Portimao, everyone was going, "Well, there's your 2022 uh, Moto2 champion." Uh, and it, that sort of all fell apart a little bit in the first part of the season. But it, it genuinely, he looked. He just looked fantastic. And I don't think there's any shame in crashing out at of um, uh, uh, the lead at Le Mans. There were a lot of crashes. Um, and look at the people who crashed I mean, you know, Paka Banyar crashed out a second, Juan Mir crashed out um, there were a lot of very very good riders who crashed out so there's no there's no shame in, in having done that, and I think uh, personally, I think this is a watershed moment for Acosta, but we'll uh,
1: we shall see yeah, not too bad seven rounds in. Um, my so my kind of moment of the weekend really also involved Pekka Bagnaia, and it was the race winning overtake by Ineo Bastinini uh, just going through turn three, uh, in, sorry, into turn two and then out of turn three. Um, I thought the two Ducatis were fantastically close and I was just struck by this thought that um, Bagnaia must have been looking at his old race bike from last year, wondering how sweet and how competitive that thing is looking especially after his travail so earlier on the season trying to get the gp22 up to pace and how he how he feels with the bike um and you know Bastianini, i think he made two overtakes the whole race uh, of course okay he was um i wonder i don't want to say fortunate but there were a couple of riders obviously who crashed out um you know from leading positions alex rins of course joan mir the suzuki's as we'll talk about later on but uh, it was um, just a moment there where I just thought the two Ducati's were so close, two Italians, maybe one rider who's going to end maybe teammates for next year, for all we know. Um, and it was just, it was a decisive moment of the race. And it was also just a very close and exciting one as well.
2: It was an absolutely fantastic, I mean, genuinely a fantastic overtake. It was it was done really, really well. Um, and it also showed where uh, Bastianini was so good because you also saw him on his pass on Miller. What he did so well was get close and then just outbreak him, and it's so difficult to outbreak, uh, uh, especially around Lamont. Um, he would just seem to be able to find that little bit of extra stopping power, which which was really very very impressive. So yeah, I mean, uh, hats off to him. That was just an outstanding, outstanding, um, uh, outstanding ride, outstanding pass.
1: Dave, would you describe the move as dreamy?
2: Well, I wouldn't describe it as dreamy, but it was certainly um, it was certainly impressive, and it was just it was just really really well put together you could sort of like see him building up to it you know he took uh, the same with miller um he was taking laps to work it out figure it out he said afterwards you know like, there was a few places where i was slower than peco and i was following him learning and uh where he was being faster and he just sort of like figured it out and the way that he works towards it that, that kind of patience having that kind of patience again We've talked about this a lot. You know, patience is such an important virtue for a motorcycle racer and such a paradoxical virtue, but uh, Bastianini really showed it. He waited until precisely the right time,
1: and, and it, was, it was just very impressive. Well, thank you for the superb breakdown, but you actually eroded my link because I was going to move from the dreamy subject into the Fantasy League uh, update. <laughs> um, how are we doing, gentlemen? Uh, you know, we've got almost 300 people in our you Paddock know, Pass podcast, podcast Fantasy League. Um, I've slipped Eighteen positions from the top. I'm now on the second page of the standings, and it's a little traumatic. But then Joanne Mir has really let me down in the last couple of GPS, and I'm keeping loyal to him. I mean, you know, slightly more loyal than Suzuki have been to him, and um, I'm, I'm keeping him in my team. But Joanne really has to get back on some of the uh, the championship esque kind of form, really, because he's he's not doing any any favors to my team. And I think I'm something like uh, seventeen hundred in in the uh, the whole overall list of forty seven thousand, so that's a little bit more respectable. Dave, how, how are you getting on?
2: Um, well, I'm on the, the second page as well. Only it's something like the twenty second page. So um, <laughs> I, I, I have actually, I actually, I, I actually gained some positions. I've got got an A Bastianini, but unfortunately, I had him in what is it, whatever the, the silver team or the second team, whatever it is. Um, I made some, I've made some very. I mean, I've still got Franco Morbidelli for God's sake, but I can't get rid of him. It's really the, 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 there's there's no one worth um, swapping him for. So. So it's been. Um, I made the mistake quite early on of uh, swapping out Fabio Quartararo and it's a decision um, that I have uh, that I have come to regret.
1: Neil, as you're a Liverpool fan, I'm afraid to ask this question: Are you actually sitting in the top two or three of the, of the fantasy league and just being very quiet about it?
3: Uh, the top two or three, I think, of maybe the the seventy second page of uh, standings, <laughs> I think you could say, yeah. I, I have all but given up hope of uh, of achieving any kind of glory in our fantasy league, I'm afraid, uh, stupidly um, was swayed by the way the wind blew at the end of uh, preseason and therefore uh, topped my team with uh, KTMs and Hondas thinking that uh, they were going to do the damage this year. And look how that's turned out! So please um, <laughs> 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 st- so- don't come to me looking for predictions. <laughs> so you've orientated
1: your team around Saka Nakagami and Raul Fernandez.
3: Exactly, yeah. Those were the those were my dark horses for this year, and uh, look how what look how uh, I've been proved right.
1: Well, honest listeners, we do know a little bit about this sport. I mean, we we try to pretend the best we can. But anybody who's signed up for the league, it's it's good fun. Um, let us know if you're doing well, who you picked, and why you picked. Uh, we always like to hear some comments or some feedback on social media, so let us know. But um, let's jump into our talking points um, from the Grand Prix. Uh, Neil, I want to come back to you first because um, Ducati. Again, you know, just some really interesting potential movements going on there. But what was it that kind of, you know, I don't want to say stood out for you, but what made you sort of think about the uh the Italians from from France?
3: Yes, I thought uh I thought the kind of Ducati dilemma was the was one of the big takeaways of the, the French Grand Prix. Um obviously a lot of speculation, a lot of talk about um who is going to fill the second seat in that factory team um after uh, after this season and you know I think Ducati is, has long made it known that it's going to be well that it was going to be between either Bastianini, Jorge Martín or Jack Miller um, from what we've heard uh, it sounds like Jack Miller's out at the end of the year um, and uh, it's a straight up fight between Bastianini and Martín um, I heard kind of prior to the weekend that, uh, that Ducati were, were certainly leaning heavily towards putting Martín in that seat um, but just based on um, on current form, I kind of find that they'll, they'll really have to, they'll have to recalibrate their their thinking somewhat because um, you know Bastianini is uh, uh, as uh, Fabio Quartararo said, you know no one else has won more than one race. He's won three so far this year. And I also saw uh, Nacho Gonzalez who writes for the Spanish magazine Motociclismo. He posted a really interesting stat uh, earlier today where he said that uh, in every year that uh, after seven races where there's been a, a rider that has won three races uh, and no one else has won more than one, the rider that has won three races has gone on to win the championship. Um, so there is a sense of history uh, that uh, suggests that Ineo will be up there uh, towards the end of the year. Um, so um, I think it's uh, it's certainly interesting. It's something for the Ducati bosses to chew over. And someone... Who shall be who shall remain nameless that spoke to Paolo Chiavati on Sunday um, asked about Bastianini. they noted how Chiavati didn't really look that happy that uh, bastianini had won so <laughs> that does also make you wonder what exactly has been going on behind the scenes has Martin been decided did they did they choose him and, and are they now thinking we're in a really difficult situation here um so yeah I think this is a this is quite interesting um how, Uh, Ducati are are going to deal with this because, um, I mean, there's only one decision if you're going off recent form. I
1: mean, pure speculation, of course, but do you think Jorge Martin's stock has fallen slightly? Uh, Maybe they're looking at him on the GP22 thinking he clearly hasn't got a handle on the motorcycle. I mean, five crashes now this season. And in France, he was complaining of something like a trap nerve in his hand. He didn't quite have feeling. Was it in the right hand or his left? I can't remember which one he said. But uh, you know, it contributed directly to his crash in his latest DNF. Uh, you know, he was the, he was the boy wonder, wasn't he? He was the you know the, the hotshot talent in MotoGP. But has he been eclipsed by Bastinini? And you know, what kind of rider, apart from results, would the factory Ducati team want next to you know a poster boy like like Pekka Boinya? I mean, do you? to slide Bastianini in there purely on on the case of his results, or you know, do you think there is some way that this this guy, this twenty three year old, could become a I don't know, like again, somebody to sort of idolise in GP?
2: I mean, I think that um, it's tricky. It is very tricky. Uh, again, Jorge Martin had a fantastic rookie year. Um, again, with some ups and downs, uh, but he did have a fantastic rookie year. And the second year is often quite. It, It's more difficult because the expectations are much higher, so there's much more pressure on you. There's a lot less pressure on you in the uh, in your rookie year. You know, wherever you, if, if you. If you have a really good result, that's outstanding. You know, if you get on a podium, that's amazing. If you win races, it's even more amazing. But also, if you finish seventeenth, then it's a bit disappointing. But that's just the way it is. It's not. It's no big deal. Um, in your second year, you are expected to perform all of the time, and that's what Martin is not doing. Bastianini looks just more looks more polished. But then again, I also think uh he's not on a factory bike he is in a in in a genuine private satellite team uh you know the cresini team is very much the i mean you, you would probably even say the fourth ducati team you know it's 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 the bottom rung of the ducati teams even though saying that there's not that much difference between them they've still got an enormous amount of support um, but he is very much sort of you know he's not expected to do anything so again he's in the situation where there's no pressure on him and the thing is you never know how it changes in, in, in once you get into the factory team precisely because the pressure is just completely off the scale it's, in a, it's a completely different order also, just because of all the the, the the garbage you have to do, you get lots – there's lots of benefits. So, you know, there is um, – someone organises a car for, to pick you up from your home and drives you to the airport and sticks you on a private jet and uh, they pick you up from the airport and everything's taken care of from you. There's, you, know, you don't have to think about – all of these things you don't have to think about. It, you know, or even little lots of uh, appointments and all the rest of it. But an Italian – Riding, riding for Ducati in the Ducati factory team. There's a lot, a lot of. Um, uh, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of media stuff. There's lots and lots of stuff going on. They make you work for your money.
3: It sounds like uh, moto Matters travel plans. There, Dave, someone picking you up uh, and uh, taking you <laughs> yeah. towards a private jet. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's that's an interesting point. And if you look at uh, Bastianini's history, I mean, um, obviously he's a lot more polished as a rider, um, as a person now than he was back in his Model 3 days. But you think back to then and <coughs> the year he had with the uh, the Australia Galicia team in in Moto3. Um, I know that is a honda team but that was going to basically uh, a a team where he was expected to fight for the championship in a sort of non-familiar environment and um you know he didn't cope very well with it at in this current setup um a nice italian team with lots of friendly faces um as dave says the pressure isn't too high he's already on um you know a more sorted machine than GP22, um, you know, that is a lot less pressure than when you're in the factory team. I mean, I think Bunyai's crash on Sunday and in his words after the crash really indicated that the kind of pressure that uh, that you're under when you're in the factory team and you're expected to fight for the championship, I mean, it it has to take an absolutely bulletproof uh, rider. Uh, in the mentality department to, to kind of deal with that pressure. So, um, you know, I, I, it's difficult to know exactly how Bastianini would deal with it. But I do think one thing that sort of is currently in his favor and, and might be in his favor if he did move to the, the factory squad, you know, is his, uh, his crew chief and his electronic engineer, Alberto Gerabola Dario Massarin. I mean, those are guys that were with Davizioso in the factory team for years. And basically, uh, Davizioso said a few rounds ago that, those guys are, are pretty integral to the success that bastion is having at home because they're two of the best in the business um and they obviously know how a factory team works and you feel that they would be able to prepare an air for what he would be in for um also Carlo Pernat told me and his personal manager he told me at the start of the year he thinks that Pastor would be better off staying in Grassini in 2023 rather than uh, moving up. He thinks that just that, that the atmosphere in the current setup uh, would it kind of works well to, to his needs. So um, it's interesting. I, I quite enjoyed also. I don't know about you guys, but uh, uh spikiness after the, the press conference on Sunday. Um, I mean, he's such a relaxed, chilled guy rare that he sort of says something which has a bit of bite to it but um, you know he was uh, basically uh, gobbing off at uh, Banyaya for saying that he would prefer Miller to stay as his teammate next year and he he kind of came up with the line that uh, maybe he's saying that because he he would be a bit worried by what uh, Martine and what uh, what or what I could do and uh, alongside him so um, I like that little bit of needle there's not nearly enough of that in MotoGP at the moment. And uh, I feel we have the responsibility to build this up into a massive uh, a massive heated uh, rivalry uh, in the coming races as uh, gentlemen of the fourth estate.
1: Blow it
2: out of all <laughs> proportion.
3: <laughs> yes,
1: that's right. Extra juice. But I mean, I'm sure Dave wouldn't mind a bit of spikiness as long as uh, he's wearing those large Italian-style sunglasses <laughs> that the riders seem to favor these days, of which Dave, I know you're a particular fan. But Bastinini, Neil perhaps hasn't had quite as much of a taste of the political landscape that involves coming, like, you know, Dave was mentioning earlier with a, you know, as a factory rider, that's something else to consider. Uh, He has got Pernat's, uh, you know, advice and experience, of course, of how to handle all of that. But a question for you both, assuming, say, that Jorge Martin isn't already locked in and it not already done, could you even, if you were Chibati, would you even start some conversations with Paco Sanchez about Juan Mir? Um, you know, Paco Sanchez, Neil, you sent us a recording of uh, some talk that he was having with the journalists in Le Mans. Uh, he admitted that, you know, Joanne was not asking for any more money than he was asking for Suzuki for a contract renewal. Uh, so, you know, he's not going to be horrendously priced. He's not He's not in the, the Fabio Cuo level of um, demand when it comes to salary. Um, he would be a better fit on the Desmo Sedici compared to, say, Alex Rins, who would be like a natural-born Yamaha rider, you'd say. So, uh, would you plump for I mean, or do you think Ducati have an obligation to promote or at least um, reward? You know, their their big stable of riders.
2: Uh, I mean, Ducati's history has always been incredible. Well, I mean, they have nurtured internal talent. They re- and they really put a lot of effort into it. Uh, but they're also perfectly willing to be mercenary. I mean, you know, they've, they they hired Jorge Lorenzo.
3: Um,
2: uh, and then they got rid of Jorge Lorenzo, which is another side of Ducati, the, the, the side of the pressure, which we talked about. The the fact that, um, I mean, someone who knows Ducati quite well told me that the atmosphere inside Ducati is that we win together, but you as a rider, you lost that race. So it's it's very different it's 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 a very very different um atmosphere and it's the kind of pressure you really have to be able to, to, to be able to cope with um some riders also a are, are better inside of satellite teams than factory teams I think but I mean if I am Ducati, absolutely you talk to Joanne Mir. obviously you talk to Joan Mir. It, I mean he's a world champion Everyone should be talking to Juan Mitt uh, because you don't know what's going to happen. Um, do you choose him over Jorge Martin? At, at this point, definitely. Um, do you choose him over Enea Bastianini? I don't know. I'm, I, I, I really don't know. But, you know, Jack Miller is being absolutely rock solid at the moment and it's looking like a very good choice as a second rider in a factory team, which he very much would be a second rider rather than um uh, you know having two riders to challenge for the championship
3: just like to um agree with Dave uh, for a change that um you know Jack Miller I, I think is doing a pretty good job you know I know that the, the crash in, in Portimao was not his finest moment and and pretty frustrating um you know for everyone watching I think as well as, as for the riders involved but aside from that I know he had a, an awful race in, in Argentina and there have been some when the and it's been bad. It's been really bad. But generally, I think he's, you know, he's the best placed of the GP22s in the championship. Um, he There's been no moments where you felt that he's kind of lost his head, you know, like Banya has just been so up and down. And to listen to him on Sunday after the race, I mean, I admired his sincerity, but he wasn't talking like a guy that's going to go and win the championship um, at the end of this year. You know, he was being pretty hard on himself, and I guess you have to be hard on yourself, um, you know, if you want to be champion. But um, it, it was it wasn't the kind of uh, it wasn't the kind of performance which made me think that um, you know Banyan is going to to win the championship this year. Um, Miller is an able deputy; um, is, is proven that he can get you know a lot of podiums, maybe the occasional win during the year, and contribute to a harmonious. Uh, atmosphere within the box he almost knows his role and he, ex- he accepts that um I mean there's a lot to be said for that um, if you have the number one rider really delivering um the thing is at the moment banyai maybe isn't delivering like Ducati expected and um, therefore it might be worth taking a punt on someone like bastianini um in case you know trivials uh, are prolonged.
2: Looking at Bastianini's results, though, sure he's won three races, but he's also had an eighth, and a tenth, and an eleventh, and I think a, 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 a DNF. But um, he he has also been up and down. He hasn't been, um, which is where Miller has been much more sort of solid and reliable. Um, that that really matters. Uh, it, it, it's important to get results, you know, as often as you can, you know. Right now, I think Alicia Spargro is looking one of the most solid riders in the, uh, and one of the most solid prospects for the championship, even maybe, just because he's been
1: so consistent. Well, we've been talking about number one riders and number two riders. Um, like the number 46 in MotoGP, we'll fade away for a quick ad break, but like Romano Fanati's career, will be right back for another go momentarily.
0: Renthal Street ultralight rear sprockets are CNC machine from an advanced aluminum, keeping rotating unsprung mass to a minimum. The integral hard anodized finish has a higher resistance to mechanical wear, which increases its longevity. Available for a huge range of motorcycles with options for a number of teeth and chain pitch. Use the Fit My Bike tool
1: on renthal.com to find the correct fitment for your bike. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast. We've been talking about rider changes for 2023 even uh, not 2022 that'd be a little bit ambitious um guys from the Moto2 race um one of the talking points that emerged for me was how close Cameron Bobia came to his first podium finish in the class and after Joe Roberts's win recently I was just wondering how close we are getting to maybe seeing another American rider in GP. Uh, do we feel that the class is at the point where there's just too many riders, maybe not enough saddles, particularly after the development with Suzuki? Uh, or do we think we're getting closer to the point where somebody like Beaubier is, is clearly getting better, clearly improving? Uh, Joe Roberts as well, he's kind of slowly maturing, but not quite the consistency we expected. Uh, it's been a long time since Ben Spees was the last American rider to really generate any kind of hype or interest um and we've been saying for years that the the category clearly needs an american in there um but uh, honestly do do we think cameron could be worthy of a space or you know somebody like uh, the world superbike champion be even ahead of him
3: i mean i think that uh, it absolutely makes sense for um for dorna to try and have an american in the uh, premier class um, I think you look at uh, at the success that Formula One's been having in uh, in America uh, recently, and that's been really well documented. I don't know if you've heard of uh, heard of the fact that uh, the Miami GP was quite well attended and quite well watched around the world. Um, I know you you might have heard that news, Dave. Um, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it makes it makes absolute sense to have uh, to have Cameron over there uh, or to have Cameron up there. Um, maybe he would be more suited to a MotoGP machine after, than a Moto2 bike after his uh, history in um, in uh, on superbike machinery. Um, whether it's going to happen or not, I'm not. I'm not sure. I mean, um, there was an interesting statement from Carmelo Spalletta over the weekend, in which he said that uh, Dorna is still trying to decide what to do um, in light of Suzuki's withdrawal, um, which will happen at the end of this year. Um, You know, he said that basically Dorna are not absolutely set on having 24 bikes on the grid. It could well be that Suzuki just disappear and maybe Dorna wait a year or two years before another manufacturer comes in um, or before another independent team comes in. Um, I mean, we we have heard that, I think we mentioned last week's pod, uh, Leopard are interested, um, American Racing are certainly interested, but I mean... Being interested is one thing. Bringing together a, a sort of an operation to run a MotoGP team and, and, and hire the the number of staff that you'll need, and then to bring sponsors on board that'll make sure you're a reliable um, presence in the the premier class for what I think four years it would be. Um, I mean that's a, that's a that's a huge huge commitment. So um, I spoke to. Itan Buttball over the weekend in France. Uh, he's the, the owner of American Racing, the American Racing team. And, you know, he's very keen, obviously, to step up to, to MotoGP. He's pretty convinced that the team would be able to bring on board a major sponsor um, that maybe comes from Silicon Valley, some kind of uh, uh, tech link have been told by some people in america that um you know some of some tech pros are are heavily invested in in, in sort of bike racing and, and, and motorcycles generally um but you know would they invest a a healthy sum in moto gp i mean that's i don't know that that remains to be seen um so certainly the interest there i think it makes sense from a commercial point of view and plus you know Bobier is a, is a fine rider you know it takes a, it takes a whole lot to come into moto 2 like he's done and have a, a pretty tough learning year and then become a, a guy that's, you know, featuring towards the front of races quite regularly um this year. Um, you know, that's the I think the the third race in the last four or five that he's been sort of in podium contention. You know, that he is a really strong rider. Um but I, I'm not sure if I see it to be honest dad.
1: Dave I mean for you is Bobier somebody even in the top 3 riders in Moto2 that would look for a promotion out of the category to Moto GP or do you think you know he he's not quite he's not there in that ranking and, and his nationality would help him
2: I mean it's obviously his his nationality would help uh Dorner would love to have an American in Moto GP um I, I mean I do rate him I think he's a really good rider and I also think um, he would be interesting he'd probably struggle less on a MotoGP gp bike than he is on a moto 2 bike because it's such a totally different discipline he you know he's, he's raced superbikes for a long time so he's he understands more about uh, you know more powerful 1000 uh, cc machines um he'd have less to learn um That's different to him, you know, deserving it on merit. I mean, who would you put ahead of him? Honestly, Moto2 right now, there aren't a lot of people who really stand out. You know, Augusto Fernandez obviously had a fantastic race, but he's also struggled. Um, Pedro Acosta has obviously got um, a lot of potential, but I don't think it would hurt Pedro Acosta to spend another season in in Moto2. Um, and 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 it, well, yeah. Again, who else? Aaron Kinnet is actually looking very, very. He's looking really good. He's you know he, he's looking very, very sorted and capable. And especially these last couple of races, uh, with his injury, with the racing with a hand injury and still having that kind of success, I think that's that's been very impressive. So, uh, I think he would he would deserve a chance more but we'll again he still hasn't well he, he still hasn't won a race and we still don't know what the bloody uh, bow tie is all about so i think until <laughs> until we find out what the bow tie is all about he doesn't deserve to be uh, uh, to get promoted either so yeah, yeah. i mean it, it's a bit right now the the, the the other thing is that um suzuki's withdrawal has thrown the market the rider market into complete turmoil i mean literally everything could happen now um, apart from, I mean, it looks like Fabio Quartararo is going to stay with Yamaha. Pekka Bagnaia is safe at, um, uh, at Ducati, and uh, Mark is safe at uh, Honda. And then everything else you could just fill it in. Even even though Franco Morbidelli has got a has got a, a, uh, a contract for next year, I don't think that means anything. I don't, I, you know, the, the contracts always have performance clauses. And I would, if I were to venture a guess, I would say that Morbidelli's very much underperforming his uh, his performance clause. Um, so if Yamaha want to get rid of him, then they could. So yeah, I mean, anything could happen. Literally anything could happen. I think also my gut instinct is that uh, there will be 22 bikes on the grid next year, in part because uh, Dorna subsidized the independent teams. They subsidized the factories a little bit as well. Um it would be cheaper for them to have 22 bikes on the grid rather than 24 bikes on the grid. And they're still reeling from the pandemic. They lost a lot of money during the pandemic and they've done very well to, uh, you know, keep the, the show on the road. But it would be a good moment for them to save some money uh, for a couple of years until someone is really ready to come back. And they, I mean, like, let's be honest, whether there's 24 bikes on the grid or 22 bikes on the grid just make a great deal of difference.
1: Yeah I still I still think we'll see 24 but I just think Dorna's position uh as a company that wants to create this sport brand entertainment uh product you know would benefit from a more strategic approach and let's be honest the two probably leading lights in Moto2 this year have been Aaron Canet and maybe Tony Arbolino so do you put two more exciting Spaniard a Spanish and an Italian rider into the premier class? Or do you perhaps um kind of influence a team or persuade a team to take a chance on like a bobie or a um a Chantra? Um of course we would be massive. Like we were talking with our colleague last week, um, you know, Akira, uh, you know, for the Southeast Asian market, you know, having a Thai rider in there would be a major, major thing um so i i just like you say dave i think the rider market is 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 up completely up in the air there's a lot of people talking there's a lot of chips being you know thrown around um i just wonder if there's somebody in mototune specifically the americans might be able to profit
2: yeah i, I think it's too uh, uh well i mean at the moment it's just literally just throwing darts at a dartboard because the, the, there are so many variables and factors that i don't think you can say anything about or you, there's nothing you can say for certain at this point and i think by the
1: time we get to the summer break we'll know a lot more um speaking of uh pointy things being thrown around dave uh, you know one of the subjects getting hotter and hotter in MotoGP now is aerodynamic um you know packages and how you know overtaking is becoming or the lack of it rather is becoming a big issue um, as we mentioned on the paddock past podcast note show, uh, people who want to sign up to our Patreon channel to hear some exclusive stuff from the track, uh, Friday, Saturday and Sunday evenings, we talk about what's going on. We mentioned that, you know, this is something that it's kind of been bubbling away for quite a while, but then now it's becoming more prominent. Riders are being asked about it. Engineers and mechanics are being asked about it and people are having quite firm opinions. Um Dave, can you just give a quick summary of, of what is going on in MotoGP at the moment? And should we be alarmed?
2: Yeah, I mean obviously we've been talking a lot about front tire temperatures but it's really difficult to talk about front tire temperatures without talking about aerodynamics. And the problem is that overtaking in MotoGP right now is a lot harder than it was 2 years ago. I was actually just looking at the times uh, from the race. Uh, the last time um this race was record breaking for uh, for Michelin this was the fastest uh, they had the was it the fastest pole lap, the fastest race lap, and the fastest uh, uh, race lap, uh, race duration time. Um, it was 15 seconds faster than 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 2018, and 15 you know 15 seconds is a lot. Uh, the race lap record was half a was was half a second faster Um, and the pole lap record was nearly three quarters of a second faster these bikes have got a lot quicker in the last four or five years and it's not coming from the engine it's coming from the combination of the ride height devices and the aerodynamics what is happening is the aerodynamics have two issues Uh, they, they help with wheelie on corner exit but they also help a lot in braking so the the fact is that your front wheel is has a much better connection with the ground. The ride height device actually does something similar. Even though it's dropping the rear, it drop it. It lowers the center of gravity of the bike, so that the whole of the thing is is much more is much more connected to the ground, and that allows you to brake better. And then when you're sitting behind someone, you lose that aerod- aerodynamic on your wings. So the front is. A lot worse. There's, the, the, you don't get the same feeling. Um, you, you can't break. You, you have to break earlier. So you can never get close enough to actually try uh, try a pass. And then that's without the whole um, aerodynamics, you know, that not enough uh, air on the, uh, taking air away from the the front tire. And the fact that the bikes are getting so much quicker is also being seen in the tires. The tires are actually, especially the front tire is uh, uh, under a lot more load because you can brake harder because the ride height devices, Um, it's getting more load because of the, because the aerodynamics. So it's, just making it much more difficult to pass now because of all of these factors.
1: Dave, um, I saw you quite strongly give an opinion on Twitter that, you know, this stuff should be scrapped, you know, ride height devices, aerodynamics as well. Just to play devil's advocate, I'm going to stick my head above the parapet and say, but MotoGP is a prototype class. We need to be seeing the latest and greatest ideas and whatever else. Um, is Is there a percentage of you that agrees with that, that we should be seeing wacky, inventive stuff?
2: Uh, th- there is very much a uh, uh, quite a large percentage that that agrees with me. However, I would argue that um, <clears throat> actually, I mean, the reason that we're seeing the height devices and uh, all these aerodynamics is because they took electronics away. I mean, they used to manage Wheelie with electronics. You know, they had very, very clever algorithms which would detect... Um, not when a wheelie was happening, but when a wheelie was uh, about to start to happen. Um, they had very, very clever electronics that understood how the tire was wearing and would uh, adjust the uh, adjust torque maps appropriately. Um, that got taken away. The engineers had to find something else. Uh, what they found was ride-eye devices and aerodynamics. Um, and so... If you ban them, then what will happen is it'll take another five years and Gigi Delinia, probably, because it always seems to be Ducati, will come up with something really clever that I haven't thought of because I'm not clever enough. Uh, None of us have thought of because we're not clever enough. Um, And in five years' time, we'll be probably be, well, no, in about 10 years' time, we'll be in the same situation and we'll have to uh, ban something else and give the the engineers a new job. Engineers, I, I mean, I used to be a software developer. I know how engineers think. Um, they hate people putting obstacles in their way, and when they put when you put the obstacle an obstacle in the way of an engineer, the first thing they do is hack it, is find their way around it, and just, just to show you you will not stop me. I will do exactly what I want to do. You've just made it more difficult for me, so now I'm going to do it even better.
3: I think you could have ended that sentence there that engineers just hit people. Div, uh, that's something in your <laughs> case anyway, um, but. But yeah, no, it it is an interesting development. I mean, you know, uh, some people have been likening the racing recently maybe to something that we saw in the 800cc era. I mean, the racing was chronically dull and boring uh, from 2007 until 2011. Generally, there was the odd classic race, but pretty much your average MotoGP race in that time was, was really quite dull. Um, I mean, on Sunday, we had the top five before Banyar crashed out, circulating within, I think, 2.5 seconds of each other. So we're nowhere near uh, the kind of danger of, of 800 racing when everything was super spread out. The bikes were all really evenly matched, but it is quite frustrating when you have a race like Sunday where the league guys are pretty much all together, yet no one can really get close to to do anything. Um, and um, I was sort of thinking about it after, you know, speaking to the riders on Sunday evening. Arguably, it's only Ducati that has a bike where you can really overtake someone. I mean, all the, all the riders from other manufacturers, maybe KTM, but even KTM I don't think at the moment are, are in a position where they're super happy with how their bike breaks and enters the corner. So every other manufacturer, you had riders from Honda, Suzuki, Yamaha, Alice Spargo and Aprilia complaining about their front tire temperature going super high, uh, not being close enough to attack. Um, I think Andrea de Vici also said something really fascinating on Thursday where he said that because of the ride height devices, now the, uh, the way the bikes are going into the corners, basically everyone... Uh, can break so hard that they're locking the front so they're absolutely on the very very limit of what is possible in braking zones and you know Banaya said about uh, his race yesterday before he crashed he was asked if the front was locking much before he had the crash and he said yeah it was locking everywhere so pretty much every breaking zone he's, he's locking the front which the mortals like you and I is just mind-blowing absolutely crazy but this is what these guys are doing every corner so uh, Luca Marini said it best I think he said you know the only opportunity you have to overtake someone now in MotoGP um, is waiting behind someone to make a mistake because um, if they don't make a mistake you're just going to be there. Um, you can't get close enough because you're tired Tem- pressure and then temperature goes up then the bike starts handling badly. Um, it's, it, it's not conducive to the, the show, really, you know, and, and MotoGP is an entertainment product. And at the moment, I mean, we're not in total disaster zones or or, or scary uh, places just yet. But um, I think it's concerning, yeah, because the racing has been notably a bit duller in the last couple of weeks than it has been at any time since Spec Electronics and Michelin came in as the, the, to- the, the sole car supplier.
1: I mean, it's been close, hasn't it, Neil? But, uh, you know, is there a danger that we're making too much of a ball of this thing? You know, we're we're building up to be a bigger issue than it is. Um, I know, for example, if we take the subject of um, rider controls, you know, Fabio Quasarra very publicly recently said that, you know, there's too much for a rider to do now with ride height devices. I mean, these contraptions are on the fringe of being banned. But if we look at overtaking, do you know? Does will MotoGP benefit from some sort of radical overhaul or some sort of homologation again that just dumbs down the series? Um, you know, the riders on the ground in France seem to have quite a, a strong opinion about this. Marc Marquez's comments were similar to Luca Marini. I mean, he was saying you really need a rider to make a mistake to make a pass. But, you know, with, with the field being so bunched close together, it does tend to hide some of these problems, doesn't it? Whereas, you know, say the 800 era, the the field was more dispersed and it made it seem even more chronic.
2: I mean, yeah, you can't... The thing is you can't force you can't force the issue. If you think of um, Mar- Marquez's... Uh, uh, some of the great battles that we've seen between, you know, Marquez and Davi, between Marquez and Guattararo were well, the uh, Marquez and Rossi. What's, what's you've seen is people being able to force the issue. Uh, the Aero and the ride high devices have taken away that ability to force the issue because you can't get close enough because you, you just can't break. Uh, Front tire temperature was less of an issue at uh, Le Mans. Um, there was still one or two, I think, LA particularly was complaining about uh, uh, about front tire temperature. Um, but uh, the, for, for example, Quattararo said. You know, it wasn't it, it. wasn't tire temperature that was a, that was an issue for him. It was just that he couldn't outbrake anyone. He could ne- he would, could never really get close enough. And when he was get close enough, he was having to break too early because he didn't didn't have the braking performance. So there, there there's so much. And also, it does seem that the Ducatis are particularly bad for creating this sort of like backwash to to you know and dirty air and turbulence to stop people from or to take away the advantage of 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 other um uh, of other bikes so yeah i i think yes we are being we are overreacting a little bit um but it's because we can see the writing on the wall the wall is not You know, it's not bad, like exactly as Neil said, it's not 800 levels yet. Um, I don't think it will get to 800 levels, but it will. um, You can't continue like this, especially as we've just lost the biggest star in the history of the sport.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a fascinating subject and it's something that's really molded MotoGP over the last couple of years. I mean, we can remember Danny Pedrosa talking about the original wings and how, you know, it was having a real bearing for him, uh, you know, a rider of that stature on the start straights. So it's, it's something that's really sort of building up quite nicely, and I do wonder what kind of rules are going to change over the next uh, six months as we get towards the end of the season. But anyway, nobody's going to overtake us as we head into another small break, and we'll be back right after this for our winners and losers.
0: Fly Racing introduces the new FL2 Glove. With molded hard knuckle protection, this race-inspired glove is equipped with palm and gauntlet sliders and touchscreen-compatible fingers. Available in three colors and sizes from small to triple X, the Fly Racing FL2 glove is the perfect answer at the perfect price. Check out flyracing.com to see more.
1: Welcome back to the last section of this edition of the Paddock Pass podcast. We're going to move on to our winners and losers. Who is going to be champions and who is going to be the utter failures from the Grand Prix of France? I'm coming to you first, Neil. Who stood out? Who was your uh, Pierre de la resistance?
3: Um, I would have to say, I know it's a bit of a strange choice, but I would say Brad Binder. Um, because his his sort of worth to KTM is uh, is kind of growing. Uh, by the race weekend um horrible 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 weekend for KTM in France like just so many of the bikes flaws Basically, we're, we're, we're there for everyone to see. Um, it sounds like they're having issues in braking. sounds like they're having issues in turning. sounds like they're having issues in accelerating. Nothing is really working on the RC16 at the present. Um, and whenever Brad Binder lost his wing, I think it was in a collision with uh, Johan Zarco at uh, Turn 6. Fairly early into the race, I thought, well, that's basically his race over. Especially when you consider... How Remy Gardner uh, described the ordeal of trying to ride a MotoGP machine with one of your front winglets missing. Um, but Binder still managed to bring it home in the top 10. Um, and I find that quite remarkable on a, on a day when, as I said, KTM had, uh, had a really tough time. He was actually beating his teammate Miguel Oliveira before Oliveira crashed out um, with just one wing. And uh, I mean that's quite a it's quite a remarkable performance, you know. If it wasn't for Brad at the moment, KTM situation would be even darker than it is, and it's it's pretty dark. So um, yeah, I think uh, I think Brad um, has uh, well didn't quite save the day. I mean, you uh, finish what it. It's not exactly something to shout home about, but I think in the circumstances, it was a pretty fine ride.
2: Just as a random note, it is funny how how many brands at the moment only have one rider. Uh, you know. Fabio on the Yamaha, Mark on the Honda. Uh, although all of the Hondas sort of, you know, finished together, um, uh, and then Alèche on the Aprilia. Alèche on the Aprilia. I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Uh, uh, but yeah, um, yeah, that they're stuck there with one rider who's capable of performing, and the rest and the rest are pretty much lost.
1: Now I have to admit to to me it sounds a little suspicious because last week you picked KTM I think as the losers and now suddenly you're picking them as the winners so I think you passed by the new Red Bull hospitality and thought I'll have some of that.
3: <laughs> I picked. Um, and I picked Brad Binder as the winner, not KTM. I had... Okay. Important i right. well, let
2: you. <laughs> despite KTM, despite KTM, rather than because. Yeah, of what's them.
3: my invitation to the Red Bull, Red Bull hospitality? What have I done? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, you're you're out. You know, you've been outed. That's it. Not a KTM fan, Dave. Uh, your
2: your pick was Alicia Spagaro. My pick was uh, indeed Alicia Spagaro, but just because. Uh he's a genuine threat for the for the for the championship he's doing everything that you need when you when you are challenging for a championship which is putting in he's on the podium every week he's had four podiums uh, so far um the for the third week in a row he was third now he, i mean he got a bit lucky there were people who crashed out in front of him um but still he didn't crash and he ended up on the podium uh he is i think four points behind fabio Quattararo now um He's just looking, really sorted. I mean, we know this. This happens. Riders, things suddenly click. Riders win a race, or they get their first podium. They they, they get their first wing and things click. They they um, stop doubting themselves. And so they do all of the things that they know that they can do. Uh, and Aleish really seems to be putting everything together. So, uh, I mean, I don't think Aleish is going to win the championship, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he did win the championship and he's definitely going to be in the championship hunt all the way to the end of the year.
3: Uh, just two quick things. I mean, firstly, uh, he was under immense pressure at the at the end of the race from Porto Viro. Basically, the entire Circuit was willing him on and uh, Aleish didn't put a foot wrong. So I think that was that was pretty impressive. Um, you know, that was intense pressure that he managed to uh, withstand. Um, and also these recent performances are coming amidst a, a pretty, um, I guess if you're Aleish, a pretty worrying contract in passe. I mean, he spoke again on Saturday at just how little development there has been with regards to uh, talks uh, between himself and Aprilia. Um, their initial offer, I think he found quite insulting, um, and he said, "I don't think there, there's been another one." So each race, he is he's getting more and more hurt by uh, by this. Yet, you know, he's still um, he's still pulling performances like he he did on, on Sunday out of the hat. So, I mean, all credit to him. He's he, he is, I think, as Dave said, I mean, one of the only guys who's got a kind of a consistent level at the moment. Um, you know, there's not really anyone else in MotoGP that that has that. Certainly consistent level being on the podium more or less every weekend
2: yeah I was uh, I read a story on one of the Italian websites this morning about Alicia's, uh negotiations and it seems that what they wanted to do was take away some of his um, uh, bonus and put it into his salary sort of thing because i mean obviously he's going to make loads of money with uh, uh, from from bonuses um it, it, there's a lot of money in bonuses from the uh, from the sponsors uh, and also from your uh, from your manufacturer um but it's nicer to have a, a a base salary to be able to build on to have that sort of security so um i think i mean i think they are going to find they're going to meet in the middle they're going they're going to find a solution but uh, it is it's quite peculiar that uh, a haven't really realised how much they need him.
1: Uh also fair play to him for wearing the shoulder cam. Uh, you know, that's uh reappeared again as part of the Dawners TV production and it looks great as usual. I mean it's still a novelty, so it definitely hasn't worn off yet. Uh guys for me, I'm gonna pick Jack Miller. Um, you know, uh, you completely ruined my um my points, all the research that I've done, uh, deep levels of research to 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 prove that Jack Miller is my winner from the French Grand Prix. So thanks very much for that. Um, But no, I will point out that this is actually Miller's um, second best start to a season in MotoGP. I mean, two podiums, two top fives. Uh, He's made one mistake. I think he's had a mechanical problem. Um, And I think just maybe it's uh, I'm I have the wrong perception of Jack Miller, but I believe his off track profile just seems to be getting bigger and bigger Uh, in terms of his popularity, uh, his conduct um the way that you know he seems to be incredibly open with his opinions and also i i just think it's the the kind of behavior that will bring people into the sport it makes him he's a likable guy anyway but it makes him seem even more likable uh you know i mean some of his goon riding i think just at the marsh with the marshals at the, at the end towards the end of the lap on the on the cool down lap actually in france was just typical you know um of that endearing kind of behaviour that we like to see, so uh, Miller for me was uh, my winner from the Grand Prix weekend, and now on to the losers, Dave. Uh, you, who was your pick? Um, my pick is
2: um, Suzuki, uh, for a lot of reasons. Obviously, I the wonder, I wonder why, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> um I mean, and this is suzuki motor corp and not the uh, suzuki x-star motor gp team uh, the, the the team are actually doing really well um they had two competitive bikes uh, the riders were in really competitive positions until they crashed out um but they crashed out and you could feel it just felt like there was a sense of frustration, you know, really a, r- a real sense of frustration at the, uh, at, at the whole sort of situation there. Um, they deserve better. I think everyone would have liked to have seen a, at least one Suzuki uh, on the podium, if not winning. It's going to be really interesting to see them at, uh, at Magella because I think they're going to be, that track is going to really suit them. They've got the horsepower to actually go around there now. Um, but yeah, this, it was just, it was, a weekend to forget. I, like I said, I think the riders, I think the team handled the whole situation extremely well, uh, but it was a bit of a black mark on, uh, on the history of the
1: company. Uh, Neil, Dave picked uh, one Aprilia rider as his winner. Uh, you're picking the other one as your loser.
3: I am. Yes. Um, Maverick Finale has had a, a bit of a, a tough day. Um, I mean, yes, it, it just wasn't uh, a great time of it uh, for Maverick. Um, And, you know, we're seven races into the season now. Um, His teammate is second in the championship and we're not really seeing any sort of discernible improvement uh, or sign of improvement for Maverick. Um, I guess you could take um, his debriefs from every Friday of every GP we've had this year and they would be along the lines of, we've got the speed, we just need to qualify well. We're focused fully on doing that. Then Saturday, it's lamenting his per qualifying Then Sunday, it's a talk all about if only I could qualify. Um, But, you know, it's so much more than just if only I could qualify. Like, Maverick should know by now how to basically not get shuffled back. He was last at the end of the first lap here. Um, I mean, we've seen that several times with Maverick before on different manufacturers. I uh, don't really share Dave's optimism that Maverick is going to come and and be a bit of a force at some point this year. I think that... um, yeah, the same flaws remain, and uh, it is what it is, as they say. Yeah, I, I think this could be this could be it for the year.
2: But would you be surprised if he won a race? Because I, yes. I mean, like, I, I, <laughs> I, no, I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if he won a race, and then he was uh, sort of you know 20, 23rd the next. That that's the trouble you can see because you, you look at his pace, and every time you look at you know an FP four, you look at his pace, and it's really strong. It's up there with uh, with, with but as you. Quite rightly, point out there's no point because it all goes to waste. Because he can't get a decent start, he can't um, uh, he can't ride in traffic, he can't overtake, or he can't find a way to get past people, and he, he can't qualify. Um, so he, he always ends up sort of uh, suffering. Even when he gets through to Q2, he ends up uh, starting 12th. It's um, I actually find it quite frustrating because you can see there's so much more potential, but you just can't put it together.
3: Yes, yes. I, I kind of, uh, I went through that for about five years in the gym out of time. You know, maybe this will be the weekend. If only this happens, this could be it. But I've, I've sort of resigned myself to thinking that it might it might not actually come to pass. Um, and, you know, occasionally he has the same pace as LA's Dave in free practice. But, you know, there's a lot of times where he hasn't had the pace. And this was another weekend where he, he just didn't have the pace. You know, if you're listening to Maverick, if he qualified well, that would solve everything. But I, I still don't think it's quite as simple as that.
1: Yeah, talk about the biggest enigma in MotoGP. But guys, what what a crash helmet design! I mean, he he busted out in Hereth the Maverick kind of replica, and then used it again in Le Mans. I thought fair play. It looks very cool.
2: I I haven't seen it because it's a Top Gun thing, and um, Top Gun is an abomination and shouldn't be allowed. Should be shown.
3: (laughs) I agree with Div. It is (laughs) shit.
1: What? But the crash helmet looks good. Come on.
2: Oh, but I, I would like to see it. But I probably, uh, I would probably see more of it if it was uh, closer to the front in qualifying.
1: Oh, fair enough. Well, listen, my my loser from from the weekend really was just a growing amount of rumours and concern there is over the Grand Prix of Finland and the Kimi Ring. Um, through MXGP contacts, I know that very very little work has been done on the site. I think you can even see, Dave. You posted in our WhatsApp group the other day. There was some Google imagery. Uh, the, 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 you know, the, the track facility itself is very barren. Um, you know, I think they're still using temporary huts, the kind of cabins you see on building sites, typically, to, um, you know, as a base of operations so far. Uh, apparently, the FIM and Dorna are going to be heading out there for an inspection this week. Uh, the FIM have already done a medical training course at the Kimi Ring, uh, just to get the 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 finnish federation prepared for the grand prix apparently there's been a national promotion uh, for ticket sales which hasn't gone all that well from what i hear from sources inside finland i think when it comes to the mxgp race which is happening later in the year in august there might be time to get something of a semblance of an event ready but at the moment uh finland there's there's a lot of kind of concern over this race i mean riders were even being asked about it um and they were talking about it in the safety commission uh to be honest if you are a MotoGP racer, as long as you've got a nice strip of asphalt and it's great to race around, then that's all you're going to be worried about, really. But uh, let's be honest, in this day and age, and especially after the teething problems we found in Mandalika, um, you know, I think the last thing the series needs is another hokey event where it calls into question the the credibility of the series. And, you know, maybe it's just another year too early to get to Kimi Ring so I hope there's some kind of um decision and it's a sensible one made before we get to Mugello and we know a little bit what's going on
2: yeah I mean this particular track has suffered a, in a number of ways I mean obviously the, the the pandemic was bad uh but then also the idea of this track was uh, to allow a lot of Russian fans it was, it was basically to be a Russian GP without going without having to go to Russia um uh, because it's quite close to St. Petersburg, uh, St. Pe- you know, fans could have come over from Russia, from St. Petersburg, watched racing, and then gone back again. Uh, obviously, uh, the war has uh, stopped that. the 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 borders closed. Um, the, there's no travel between Finland. Uh, Finland's just joined NATO, and so the whole thing is, or it hasn't joined NATO. You know, they, they've expressed the wish to the desire to, to join NATO. So the whole thing is applied. Become, yes, it, it's become a lot more. Uh, it's become a lot more complicated um also uh, it's almost like talking to some of the truck drivers they say it's like a flyaway um just getting there is is so difficult because you you know you have to take to, to get the freight there you have to take ferries you can't drive there it's too far uh, when it first came up, I said, oh, that's great. I'll go up through uh, through Norway and then uh, around and then down and, and go that way. And then I looked at it and it was something like four and a half thousand kilometers. And I realized that uh, that was a little bit optimistic to be doing in a week. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, um, it's a very difficult situation. I think it, it would be for the best if it was postponed. Um, but the trouble is, then the battle is, uh, who who pays for this postponement because uh, obviously there are lots of penalty clauses in all, all such contracts uh, and the person basically who pulls the trigger is the person who pays the penalty and uh, neither side will want to pay the penalty.
1: So, guys, uh, a free weekend coming up. There's no MotoGP. There's no MXGP. Uh, I believe our erstwhile colleague Steve English is in Portugal for World Superbike. Or then again, he just could be fraternizing on a golf course again. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we'll, have, we'll hopefully have two shows coming up next week. Um, one from Estoril. Uh, you know, Steve and Gordo will be bringing the latest news and views from World Superbike. Um, and then we're off next to the grand premier, Oakley d'Italia, Mugello. Um, scene of the MotoGP top speed record. Does anybody know what that is? Uh,
2: I, I don't think it. I, I don't think it is anymore because I think I thought it was broken it was at uh, Qatar. Qatar. Yeah.
1: Really? So you were saying <laughs> that three three hundred and sixty two point four kilometers an hour was broken in Qatar? I don't think it was.
3: You know what? I think it was broken in Qatar, and then it was broken again at Mugello.
1: No, no, no. It was broken. It was done in Qatar by Joan Sarko and then Brad Binder equaled it in Mugello. Okay, 225 nice. miles an hour. Yes. So I asked you both a question. I'm I glad you managed to deflect it, your lack of knowledge by doubting my, the credibility of my question. <laughs>
2: Oh, we did such we did. is life on the we didn't expect you podcast. to actually look up the answer we were expecting you to do it off the top of your head so we could bluff our way through but uh, you showed us up for the frauds that we are
1: oh, when tried try to do some research you just tried to make an effort and then you get shot down right at the end of the show listen guys we're going to speed off into the night uh, thanks everyone for listening and um, please send us any comments or suggestions as always um you know we like to try and delve into some of your questions and of course any comments on how to possibly improve the show or stuff that you'd like to hear. Um, We're long overdue some rental street sessions and Q&As as as well. So they will be coming up um, and any extra material will be flowing onto our Patreon page. So again, thanks for listening to the Paddock Pass podcast and we'll join you again next week. This episode
0: of the Paddock Pass podcast was produced by Jensen Beeler, David Emmett, Steve English, Neil Morrison and Adam Wheeler. It was edited by Brian Burnett. Music is provided by The Liberty. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at
3: panicpasspodcast.com.
1: But like Romano, Fenati's career will be right back for another go momentarily. <laughs> <laughs> that was class. That was, that was proper class, that was. That's, that's an outtake, by the way. JB, please don't put that in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>